Thank you for tuning into the weekly sermon from Journey of Hope, a United Methodist community. We are a welcoming community that fosters belonging and acceptance. Through ministries, we enable individuals to transform their lives as they learn to follow Jesus Christ. We follow the guidance of the Spirit in sharing our faith through missional adventures, building relationships, and offering our witness to our community and world. We serve the Elgin, Illinois area and are located at the corner of Randall Road and Highland. To learn more about us, you can check us out at johumc.org or any of our social media platforms by searching Journey of Hope. And now, here is this week's message. The reading this morning is from the book of John, chapter 8, verses 1 to 11. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him. And he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery, and the law of Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left, with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Now go and leave your life of sin. Thank you, Lord, for the reading, the hearing, the understanding of your word. Amen. Well, welcome to our first in a, in a series, uh, a new series. So we'll hear a little bit about this. I, I want to first start off as I usually do and remind you that, uh, that in your bulletins, you will find a compass guide. In there, you will find questions to reflect on throughout the week. You will always also find Scripture passages so that you can dive into Scripture every day of this week and just be immersed in God's Word uh, and reflect on those questions. Uh, some of them might be easy. Some of them might challenge you a little bit. So I encourage you to do that. Uh, one other thing, in the bulletin, you will find my cell number. And so in the middle of this message or in the rest of the service, whatever it may be, if a question comes up that is just burning within you that you want to ask, you can certainly text me the question. I'll see what I can do. Uh, but uh, also know that we have two more weeks after this week on this topic. So, uh, but I encourage you to be able to do that. Will you pray with me? Gracious and loving God, we've come to hear your word. We've come to, to listen to your message. And so, God, as we do that, I ask that these words would no longer be my own, but that these words would be yours, and that this is your message for your people. Speak, God, because we are listening. We are discerning our direction. And so, give us words, give us words for our hearts and our souls today. In Jesus' name, amen. So, right after the, uh, the beginning of the year, I received a note, received a note from a, from a lovely woman, lovely woman right here in this congregation. 
uh, Carol Hecht, uh, was reading the Chicago Tribune. She probably does want me to call out on her, but that's all right. I'm sorry. Uh, she was reading the, the Tribune and, and came across a story which focused on the author of Just Mercy, a story of justice and redemption. Brian Stevenson uh, is also the founder of the Equal Justice Initiative, and he was being interviewed about his book, which was recently actually made into a movie, Just Mercy. It's a book uh, and a movie based on a true story of someone who was wrongly convicted but had no one to be his voice against the other voices. This man needed an advocate to speak up for him, Brian Stevenson was just the man he needed. And I think we'll find a lot of references to the story throughout this series. In this interview, he spoke about a concept based on the passage that we just heard, and he called it stone catchers. And so Carol Carol shared this article with me because I believe God inspired her to do so. And once I read it, I felt probably the same excitement about what this could look like as a worship series. What follows over the next few weeks is because of God speaking through Brian Stevenson in the article, Carol's attention to the Spirit, and her initiative to share this with me. And so, thank you, Carol, for listening to the Spirit and sharing with what God was speaking to you. And so here's where we go from here. In this three-week series, I want to look at the story from three different perspectives. Jesus, the woman's, and the crowd's. I want to look at what it means to be a stone catcher in these areas. In the first week, we'll look at standing up for the vulnerable and calling out hypocrisy. And next week, we turn our attention to something that that Adam Hamilton calls stretcher bearers. I love that term. As we look for ways to intervene and help those marginalized and those in need. And in our final work, we turn our focus inward as we look at the crowd and find ourselves in the crowd So as we begin, let's get a little context of the story and Scripture. During our Bible study on on Wednesday morning, we talked about how this passage isn't found in many of the ancient manuscripts. In fact, Dan Gardner's Bible didn't have the story in it at all. It's an interesting situation. I mean, many scholars will say that this doesn't even sound like the writing from the writer of the Gospel of John. There's different words used, there's different phrasing, and and they actually believe that the writer of the Gospel of Luke would have been a more appropriate author. Why would this be? Why would this story have been eliminated from some of the early manuscripts? Uh, And so I had to do some searching and and looking around as to to why this could have happened. And so William Barclay, a a theologian, wrote this, and he said that uh, well, he explains one thought. He said that, uh, that the story is so grace-filled that those in the first century would have been scared to tell it. So grace-filled that they wouldn't have wanted to tell the story. It looks like Jesus is being easy on the woman caught in adultery. 
And since they lived in a time when, when this was a big problem, wait, we don't have that problem today? <laughs> well, they, they didn't want this to, to be out there and people thinking that, that adultery was okay. So regardless of where it, where it should have been placed, either in Luke or right here in John, the story sheds light on a number of things, and that's why it is important to pick at it a little and listen for God's voice within these few lines. Jesus arrives at the temple to do probably a little more teaching. It's early in the morning as people are gather, start to gather around him, excited to, to hear what he might have to say today. All of a sudden, the Pharisees enter the scene uh, and the other leaders of the church, and they interrupt what would have been a daily ritual of teaching in the temple. And this interruption comes as a trap, a trap to discredit Jesus and his radical teaching. Someone had just witnessed an act of adultery. But not just any case. The woman that is brought out is someone who is betrothed to another man. And we've heard this before. We hear about Mary and Joseph when we start talking about betrothals. We can infer then that because of this sentence that was asked, the stoning, in Deuteronomy 22, it tells us that adultery is punishable by death. But in 20, verse 23, it says if the woman is betrothed to another, the death must be by stoning. Of course, this begs a question. Where is the other guilty party? We all know it takes two to tango, but there's no mention of him in the story. Maybe he's one that's in the crowd. Maybe he's one of the religious leaders. Maybe, just maybe, this is how we know that she was caught in the act. Well, let's just agree that, that on that day, the woman should not have been the only one brought into the public square, only one brought out for judgment. The man should have been there also. Regardless, Jesus' teaching is interrupted by these accusations. I can imagine the commotion as people gather around waiting to hear what Jesus would actually say. I'm sure that not everyone agreed with the law, with the inhumane sentencing, or even with the accusations which were being brought up on this particular woman. Some might have been longing for Jesus to, to pick up a stone and hurl it at her. Then they would join in getting some kind of strange satisfaction from participating in this act. Jesus is asked a question. After naming the accusation, they asked Jesus for his opinion. I guess we could say that the Pharisees really did invent the phrase, what would Jesus do? This is exactly what they wanted to know. How would Jesus react? What would his sentence be? Herein lies the trap. If Jesus were to condemn her to death and to say that it was all right to stone her, he would lose all of his credibility with the vulnerable, the marginalized, the sinners. 
I mean, he'd been teaching all about forgiveness and reconciliation and love, which was good news, especially to those which the community considered outcasts or the undesirables. If he passed this judgment, who would ever want to come and ask about the new and abundant life that Jesus taught? Also, if he convicted and approved the stoning of this woman, he would be going against the Roman government. It was against Roman law for any Jewish person to pass judgment and give a death sentence to a person. Jesus would be a criminal within the Romans. Maybe you remember that when the religious leaders were asking for crucifixion, They mentioned that they needed Pilate to pass judgment because they couldn't give Jesus the death penalty. Well, on the other side, if Jesus were to offer mercy, to tell the people that that they should not carry out the stoning of this woman, he would be offering a teaching that would be against the law of Moses. Jesus would be saying that adultery is all right. Can you see now the dilemma that Jesus was in in that particular moment. The trap is set, and there really doesn't seem to be any way out. I wonder if we've ever found ourselves in a situation like this. I mean, think about your life for a moment. Can you remember a time when you knew that that someone needed help? Maybe it was someone out in public. Maybe it was a family member, a church friend, or maybe a co-worker. Regardless, the other person needed your help. However, if you offered help, you might put yourself in a vulnerable position. Maybe your friends and family would question why you would do such a thing. Or just maybe, it would actually push you out of your comfort zone asking you to expand your understanding of another person's beliefs or culture. Standing up for the marginalized has a tendency to do that. We want to give voice to those who don't feel like they have one. However, that puts us out there and makes us vulnerable to ridicule, to shaming, and to the possibility of loss. But isn't that what Jesus is asking of us? To care for the sick? To feed the hungry? To clothe the naked? To help the poor? Anytime we do this, we put ourselves at risk. You know, there's a, uh, there's a phrase that was birthed out of, I think it was probably out of England, called mind the gap. I'm not sure how many of you have heard this phrase or why the phrase is out there. I mean, the reason for this came because of these natural curves on their subways and their trains and the tracks that they ride on. See, it creates this space that's actually about a foot wide or so between the train and the platform. Of course, they didn't want people to fall between the train and platform, so they came up with a, with a short but piffy little saying, mind the gap. It was short enough that it could be placed everywhere, everywhere, and also could be repeated over and over again to remind people about the space between. 
A few years ago, there was a, there was a documentary filmed in my hometown of Rockford. Uh, it's on Hulu, if you've got Hulu and want to check it out. It's got a little bit of language in it, so just as a warning. But it's called Minding the Gap, and it focused on the space between childhood and adulthood. It talked about this strange space of change. It's a liminal space where, where so much is unknown, and the space is exaggerated in those more vulnerable those on the margins of society. You see, there isn't a clear defining line or a plan laid out for those who have already traveled the journey. Many times, they, it's, it's as if they are on their own. I wonder if we're called to help those, minding the gap. Minding the gap of uncertain times in their lives. I mean, I think we're called to mind the gap or stand in the gap, as, as you might think of it, protecting the vulnerable, the marginalized of society. Is that not what Jesus is doing in this story? As I was reflecting on the theme, two ideas came to mind. First, some of you remember the, uh, the one school, one book program we participated with Creekside Elementary and this wonderful book, Wish Tree. It's a fictional book all about about an all-too-real problem in our society. It was about cultural differences and the acceptance that, that we have, that we should have for each other. In the story, all of creation makes plans to help out a little girl and her family to feel accepted in their neighborhood. A tree named Red becomes the one to stand in the gap and calls on all of the other animals and all of creation to help in her plan of making this little girl feel accepted and welcomed. She wanted her to feel like she belonged. Sounds a little like part of a vision statement at Journey of Hope. Well, the other theme is this. There's no doubt that a gap exists in our society. There's no doubt that there's a difference in the haves and the have-nots. And there's no doubt that many people are caught in the middle and in the margins. So how can you be like Jesus and stand in the gap advocating and protecting the ones without a voice? Ones that might have just made a mistake. Does it have to be a death sentence? In 1995, a very well-known Kane County State's attorney formalized a program which had roots from, I think, about the 1970s, and Dave's probably going to correct me if I'm anywhere wrong in this. It was a deferred prosecution program called Second Chances Diversion Program. And with this program, people who were charged with certain first-time felonies could enter into an agreement with the state's attorney, admit what they did was wrong, and enter into a program which would counsel them would require community service and, and to make amends for the wrongdoing. If those in the program completed the requirements, the charges would be removed from their record. A second chance that would remove a dark cloud of judgment that could prevent them from so much, from getting jobs or education in the future. In order to be accepted into the program, you would not, not only have to admit guilt, but also have a meeting with community members 
who would determine the level of honesty and remorse for what had been done. These volunteers would listen to the stories and discern if they should be admitted into the program or not. According to the Kane County website, over 5,000 people have applied for the program. 80% have been accepted. Out of all of those who have successfully completed the program, get this, 8%. were ever convicted of an additional charge. I guess I would call that a victory. A program that, that Dave Ackman formalized when he was state's attorney has had an impact over 3,700 first-time offenders since 1995. Some of you actually in this room are part of the volunteers who listen to the stories from these children of God. You hear heartbreaking stories of mistakes, mistakes in judgment, peer pressure, results of of maybe bad teaching or the effects of broken homes. But the work that you are doing is not much different than what we are hearing in the story today. Jesus defers the prosecution, defers the judgment, defers the penalty for this unnamed woman caught in adultery and offers grace. Please note that at no point in time is there ever a mention of innocence. The crowd, the Pharisees, the woman, nor Jesus claims that the crime had not been committed. But Jesus steps in. Similar to the volunteers in that program and the administrators and the lawyers and the judges of this second chance diversion program and draws a line in the sand. Grace is offered. Grace is accepted. The accusers go away as Jesus carefully walks a thin line by telling them that whoever among them has never sinned, they can be the one to throw the first stone. This doesn't take away the conviction or the guilt, but it does shine a light on the sins of everyone in that temple square that morning. None of us are without sin. All of us, at some point in our lives, will be in the need of an advocate, a helper, someone who will stand up for us when we can't. And so I encourage you to be that someone, to be that person for someone else. I mean, we hear the golden rule over and over again that that we should treat others the way we would like to be treated. So maybe we think about that when we encounter a situation which needs our attention. Think about the other person. Put yourself in their shoes. How would you like others to treat you? Do you want someone to stand up and plead your case for you? 
How can you offer grace to someone else today? Will you pray with me? Gracious and merciful God, God, we hear this story about grace, about standing in the gap, of being an advocate. And, and God, as many times as we have heard this story, maybe we haven't put ourselves in it yet. And so, God, I, God, I ask that you speak to our hearts, that, that you would give us those opportunities, that you would place them in front of us. God, that we can, that we can be an advocate for someone else. That we can be like Jesus as we, as we stand in the gap and as we love our neighbors. So God, this morning I ask that you would give us grace so that we can in turn give grace to others. God, I thank you for this message. I thank you for the way you have worked in bringing this message to us. In Jesus' name, amen. And so as we get ready to go forth from this place and go out into the community around us, uh, we're reminded that, uh, you know, when we ask where our mission field is and where we need to go and, and be those advocates for people and to share message of hope, grace, and love, that the mission field is right outside these doors. So as you leave the sanctuary, know that you are entering into the mission field. Also know that as you go out, I once again remind all the women to stop and, uh, and pick up your gift as you leave. And there are a couple of cards, one on the table and one in the welcome center. I certainly uh, ask you to sign those on your way out. But go now, knowing that the love of God, the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit goes with you. And it goes with you always. Amen.